Hey, Sales Lift Nation, it's your host, Tyler Lindley. Today, I have David Ledge, Ledgerwood on the podcast. Hey, Ledge, how's it going? Tyler, good to be here, man. It's nice to spend time with you. Yeah, so happy to have you on. Ledge is the managing director at Ad10, which is a really cool uh, company helping B2B services and helping folks build out the revenue arm of their business with some outsourced sales development. And today we're gonna talk a little bit about gathering some sales intelligence from the front lines and sales development and what does building that out look like for a lot of scale-up businesses. Ledge, I know you're a big proponent of gathering sales intelligence on calls. What does good look like there for you? Our firm will literally come in and start taking the sales calls instead of the founder. The people that take over sales, if they decide, I don't want to hire, I don't want to be in the sales seat anymore, but I need a pro revenue team. We'll come in and start taking those calls. It behooves us to be really, really good and efficient which calls we take and how we close business. We track call the close ratio as one of our key KPIs, because if we can keep a rep from having to do a call that's not worthwhile, better filtering, better qualification, all those things, then it saves us time and it gets more money for the client, which gets more money for us. Ultimately, we decided to start thinking about, hey, what if we record every call and we pay attention to some metrics from that call, which is literally about what did the prospect actually say? We go back and we annotate every recording. And from those recordings, we flag four different things. We flag a need, a question, an objection, or a positive response. And we actually record all these things into a database. And then we compress and normalize that data so we can be like 27% of people who show up on a call ask about when will my project kick off once I sign. Now, if I know that or some objection might be I need to get my marketing budget in line first or something like that. Every single one of these things, there's 20, 30 sort of data points Mm -hmm. per call gets rolled up into our intelligence database And then we can communicate with marketing at the top of the funnel and say, listen, it's much better to give this information top of funnel where we get like a thousand to one distribution instead of burning rep time on that particular question every call. Then we can start to really tune and use those content prompts for marketing. Now we did this originally just because we wanted to save our time and be more efficient, but it turns out that marketing loved it. (laughs) It was like, whoa, we never get Intel like voice of customer like this. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. And then we started saying, if we know this information, this particular data point, is this best utilized top of funnel, mid funnel, bottom of funnel, maybe even post-sale, CX, product roadmap. So we showed product teams and they loved it. And they said, wow, we never knew what people actually wanted us to build. Right. (laughs) The interesting thing was it became less about sales intelligence than it became just about if you're a lean startup advocate, you would know about customer discovery meetings, the things that you're supposed to do that everybody goes, oh yeah, yeah, I asked some customers, but they really didn't. And they (laughs) rolled out to market quick and they figured it out as they went, or I guess I should go back and talk to existing customers, customer audit, voice of customer, all that stuff is there. And it was disappearing because you were relying upon reps to take good notes, which we both know as reps that we probably aren't going to take good notes. (laughs) You use the CRM the right way and all those things like we try, but we're trying to turn and burn. We're trying to close deals. It allowed us to take that away from the burden of trying to figure out what does this data actually mean qualitatively and quantitatively. And it's been super useful and founders love it because a lot of times founders will say, the only reason I kept doing sales because I didn't want to be out of contact with the customer Mm. 
And what if you didn't have to do that? Because you hate doing this. You don't like being on the calls. And let's face it, you're not very good at it anyway. (laughs) We like being closers. So what if we gave you all that information and then you could go and build and scale your team? You could do marketing. You could do product. Wouldn't that be awesome? And you'd have real information still. Yeah. So that's how that all flowed out. And the interesting thing was, you and I know there's Gong and Chorus, all these right, tools. I was about to that, ask, is that what y'all were using or y'all were doing all this manually? No, we did it our own way. Okay. It's not that we couldn't use these AI-driven yeah, yeah. tools, but the nature of all these things to me in the space seems like all you hear about is coaching, 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 coaching. Yeah, yeah. We're going to use those calls to drive better coaching of the reps. So we exactly. know what to coach towards. Yeah. I get that because when you are dealing with 10 reps, 20, 30, yeah. 40, you got to do something at scale. You That's the to. nature of that tool. The manager only has so much time. And it makes sense. Our world, we deal with, we're the first rep. There isn't a team. There's nobody to coach. The nature of that data, I don't need that layer. But what I want to do is inform and grow a business because we work with service companies, premium marketing companies, professional services, consultants, things like that. They're not SaaS tools. This would work in SaaS if people wanted to do this with the data. But our concern was always, how do we grow this company from half million to five million? That's where we live. I could pay an outrageous amount per seat to get my AI-driven insights that, that scale but that isn't the point. I don't even want it or care. And I also think AI just isn't at the point yet. This will happen eventually. It'll work where sentiment analysis and what did they really mean when they said that doesn't require human touch, but we're not close to that right now. So right now, in lieu of using Gong or Chorus or any of the existing tools out there that are meant, like you said, for larger teams to scale up their coaching really and pull out key insights. You have somebody just manually listening to call and just tagging, hey, here at three minutes, they said this, and that is a question or that was an objection. And it just is manually or any of it driven by a software. It started ridiculously manually and we're like, this (laughs) does not scale at all, but we need it. So let's do it. We've started to invest and put in some other tools. So we're a HubSpot shop. Mm -hmm. We help people put HubSpot in place. So we needed to say like, how will I get this information out of every call? We were recording them just like Zoom call, 60 gigabytes of Zoom video. (laughs) That huge Zoom file. (laughs) Yeah, somebody had to go watch them all and analyze them. And for a while, somebody was me because I was trying to write down, how do I know this? Because I've been doing sales for 20 years. I can sniff out. They said this, but they really meant this. So you were being that sentiment that you're just talking about where the AI can't maybe see that. You were doing that. And is that how you came up with those four buckets? You said it was need, question, objection, positive response. Yeah. That was just from your sales experience or was that after you started listening to calls, you just noticed those are the four key things we need to be looking for. I wanted to build a data model around this. Okay. And at first I came up with all kinds of, oh, we should flag this, we should flag that. Yep. <laughs> this is way too much. <laughs> you got to simplify it. <laughs> yeah, so I did simplify it. And then I came, came to those four things seemed to be what matter because you'd use them for different places in the funnel. So yep. an objection and generally is going to have to be handled like bottom funnel yep. with a rep, that type of thing. But a question could be answered mid-funnel or top. And that's when you would use those questions to help inform marketing. What should we be telling them on the front end before we even have a conversation? So we could qualify or disqualify even the need for that conversation, probably. If everybody wants to know this thing, let's make sure we put that front and center in front of them. Let's just tell them. Or mid-funnel, we deliver a video to them as part of a drip campaign. Or we love to do this. And I would tell everybody, by the way, like huge sales tip. When you have inbound, 
and you use the type of flow where it's like somebody comes to your site, they fill out a form, they book a meeting. Yep. When that happens, we automatically enroll them in a three email sequence that we just call a pre-call. Yep. Pre-call sequence. Before the meeting that they just get. Before the meeting. So we'll say something like, hey, thanks so much for getting on with us. Listen, there's three things that everybody wants to know Mm. and you should know prior to make our call really effective. So we're going to send you emails over the next couple of days before our call. And we're just going to tell you a few things that'll help save time. Yep. Behind the scenes tour, things everybody wants to know, things you should be thinking about when you show up at the call. And we drip those out. I swear to you, people say all the time, wow, your email game is on point. Or I really appreciated those emails you sent me before hmm. the call. And who says that? Who says I was I so happy your email. to get your email? <laughs> Please send me more email, Ledge. God, those were great emails. <laughs> Why do you think they think that? Because they like that it warms up the conversation. It gives them a preview of what they can expect versus coming in. They don't really know what to expect. People will say, this is the crazy thing too. I just think this is good for the brand of the company, yeah. the attentiveness, mm. the perception that we paid attention and cared about you before we talked to you. Because half the time people will say stuff like, I really thought those emails were great. And I know they didn't even open it. (laughs) They just saw an email came from you and they just thought, oh, that's smart. Man, he's putting in some extra effort before this call. And he doesn't even know if I'm a buyer yet. He doesn't even know if I'm a good prospect. They're talking to 10 different companies that do what we do. Because if you're shopping a premium marketing company, You got referred to five or six of them, or you Googled for a list and you had your intern put out a bunch of form fills. We know this, but it stands out because nobody else is doing it. Now, here I am giving the secret of additional (laughs) things. So if you're competing against us, don't do this. But if you're not, (laughs) please do this for your company because (laughs) it makes a tremendous difference. And the open rates on these emails, like 85%. Really? So most of them do open it. Most of them open it. It sounds like you're running some kind of workflow that reverse engineers from the date of the meeting and backfills, or is it just like the next three days, regardless of when the meeting is? It's timing based. If they book two weeks out, then it's going to drip. Then it'll be a slow drip yeah, six yeah. days before every other day, something like that. If it's tomorrow, we only send number one. That makes sense. But you actually can't auto enroll in a sequence. Like I said, we use HubSpot, yeah. so you can't for spam rules and whatever. So yeah. we have a sales ops team member. That one of their processes is somebody submitted a form. Did they book a meeting? If they didn't book a meeting, send them the sequence of, hey, you should book a meeting. If they did book a meeting, enroll them in the pre-call sequence, move them down the line. It's almost better that step maybe is done manually because then you can drip them out on the schedule that makes the the most sense. Because otherwise, Mm -hmm. I don't even know that's possible. I'm sure somebody could figure that out. That's awesome. Tell me a little bit more about these four buckets. So you have need, question, objection, positive response. Are you finding that calls that go well have all of these things? Are these just indicators, Mm -hmm. like you said, of different stages of the process? After you bucket them into these different buckets, okay, we've got a need. Here's a positive response. What happens next? The vast number of them are need and question. People get so obsessed about it. I was. I originally thought that we're going to classify every objection and (laughs) we're going to keep track of everything. And I started to build out, experience my own calls. Thank God I could watch myself on 1.5x because, wow, this is boring. It's not. It's mostly people expressing, I came to this call because, which is a need. Hmm. This is what we are looking for. This is what we want. Yep. And almost every call, if you do it right, 
and you ask questions, you're not just talking at somebody, which is of course what you train the rep to do. You want them to ask questions, elicit information. Almost every call is very need heavy on the front. They're going to tell you if you do it right, what they want to have happen. And then as you engage into it, the questions come up and the questions are a great opportunity to say, you can tell, are they reading off a list of, I was told when I buy thing X Mm -hmm. that I should ask the vendors these six questions. You get patterns out of that. And the interesting thing there is it'll train you on saying, what are my three differentiating things Mm -hmm. that I want these people to know? Yep. Because not only should I make sure that they walk away from the call with that, but I can give them and say, you're probably talking to 10 other companies and you should. That's a really good business practice. So when you talk to them, make sure these three questions are on your list. Mm -hmm. Now I have set that up so that my three things that I know are actually my differentiating points are the three questions so that when they go to my competitor, they will ask the three questions that I know the competitor doesn't do Mm -hmm. and the things that I do. So you choose the three questions intentionally based on where you know you win and where maybe Mm -hmm. your competitors aren't as strong. I make sure that the thing that I do and they don't do is the thing they get asked about on the next call. Are they always the same three questions? You know this now over time, where you win, where your competitors are weaker, and it's essentially the same three, or do you have a list of five or 10 that you pick and choose from? It should come down to ultimately you figure it out. Yeah. How am I different? Because this is how you figure that out with these conversations. Yeah. You imagine what you think they are and everybody comes in and they're like, we care more and (laughs) we we customize (laughs) everything we do and we care about the customer or we pick the phone up. And it's like literally never any of the things that the company comes and thinks they're better at. Right. It's usually a small, weird thing. And you can also learn that. So down the line, when you mention something, did you get the positive response? So what triggered the yes, the small, ooh. And if I track those, I can know statistically, I'm more likely to trigger a positive response by thing X than I am by thing Y. Mm. And we can get better and better and better at doing that. But that's how needs, questions, and positive responses tend to lay out. Yep. The lowest number of things is usually objection. We're trained or training salespeople to be like, here's how you handle objections. Here's how you handle objections. I just don't see it. We've done thousands of these now, and that is the lowest category of thing that actually happens. And they'll shake out as timing, budget, authority. Pretty much that's it. But those are easy things to not even overcome. You just be aware of if you do all the other things well. When I think objections to are most likely, it sounds like in this case, these are typically inbound leads where they're scheduling a scheduled Mm -hmm. discovery call. I think objections are most likely to happen on a cold call where you're talking to somebody for the first time. They don't even expect in your call or they attended a webinar a year ago and they're halfway (laughs) know what you do, halfway don't. I coach a lot of SDRs. And that's where, to me, you're going to get the most objections. I don't have time. I don't have budget. Just send me some information. But once someone says, I'm willing to sit down for 30 minutes, they're willing to sit down because they probably have a need, because they they probably have some questions, and because something that you did or said interested them. Whereas objections, they might come out, but I think less frequently, the further down the funnel you get, as long as you're doing a good job of having those conversations and sussing those out. If you're getting objections throughout the process, and especially at the end, you probably did a poor job of asking some good questions questions to understand their situation. And I have meaningfully rejected cold calling from my life because I don't want to do it. So God bless all the SDRs (laughs) who have to smile and dial. You should hire Tyler to train you on these things. I just decided that 
I hate this and I'm never going to do it. So if there's any outbound work for a client that we work on, it's going to be cold email Mm. and or cold LinkedIn. So you do everything you can to avoid cold calls. It's like everything but for top of the funnel. Won't touch it. My firm, Ad10, works only bottom of funnel. Okay. So you have to have somebody who tried to schedule a call because I believe top of funnel... I understand outbound sales. People say, I need more sales. What they're really saying is I need more leads. Need more leads. Yeah, there's a difference between I need more leads. You need more prospects to talk to. It's not that I think SDRs are part of the marketing team, but I think of all outbound and or marketing efforts. If it generates a lead from a nothing, I think of it as a channel, just one way that things get poured in the top of the funnel. I am unconcerned with that. We're closers. All I can tell a company is you must have more things top of funnel. Here are some approaches to do that. Mm -hmm. Some look like marketing, some look like sales. I don't care who they report to. All I care is that there has been some kind of intent because we're closers. Totally right. I just, and it's not that I would ever advocate for, oh, the SDR team should report to marketing. But I, well, I mean, I think they can. More... You see it where some sales SDR teams are reporting yeah. to marketing because they're basically considering them lead gen, which essentially is what SDRs are doing. They're just I, I think that's they're right. creating yeah. leads in a different way than marketing is. Instead of a podcast or a blog post or a webinar, they are making cold calls and sending LinkedIn messages and sending cold emails. They're doing. I mean, they're just awareness campaigns. Exactly. Here's a list of people that are not aware. Yeah. List of people that are not aware of what we do. Based on what we know, they might be useful. So basically for ad one zero, if somebody comes in and says, I need more leads, you say, okay, here's some ideas, but we basically work with folks from middle bottom of the funnel down. That's where we add. Yeah. And because of this thing, we have a network of top of funnel and lead gen and partner vendors who are well built into our world. So they also use HubSpot. They will do these Thing. So we have our trusted providers. It essentially to our client could look like full vertical yeah. integration. I just don't want to build and manage a team that does those things. And there are other experts. That makes sense. We have bought into a trusted network of people that we go, all right, if you need this, this is our person that we work with. And we'll either build that through or just do that introduction. Right. So we can do full revenue. I think of it as build your full revenue system or build your full top to bottom commercial engine, or there's lots of words. There's a lot of talk about these really aren't separate things the way that we learned them to be. The point is I need a human to know we exist, Yep. to understand why they might like our thing, to then take an action. I don't care if I call that marketing or sales, that's the commercial revenue engine that we need to build. And you can tell which piece is missing. It doesn't matter if the car doesn't have an engine or doesn't have wheels. You still aren't going anywhere one way or the other. You need both. You need leads coming in, and then you also need process to drive them through sales conversations to determine whether or not they're a good fit. And shouldn't we do that in the most effective and efficient way, top to bottom, just you get any signal, do something with it. Yep. And then that's most of the time you find people are just completely overwhelmed. Even if they have leads, Yep. they just can't follow up right. They can't do enough proposals. They can't get the sequences. Sales ops is 80% of the work. 
It's not, oh, I need a closer to be on the calls. We're the lucky ones. We get to sit out and perform on stage. The people who do all the work are the ops team. Why do you think that is? Why do you think people think they need that closer when probably just need better organization of the process that we take prospects through? Better orchestration, better execution. Exactly. Why do people think that? I don't know. We've somehow been trained that I really need a hunter with a role. I need a rock star. If I just yeah, had a rock a, star, we could take this thing from zero to 10 million overnight. I used to yep. do highbrow software development yeah. types of staffing and stuff. And it's the same thing. I just need one engineer. Dude, you need all kinds of things. This yeah. won't happen without that. And I don't know who trained us or taught us this idea that I just need one person that's going to go out and do all the things to get me some business. And it's just wrong. Yeah. It just doesn't play out. There's just literally no reason that it's and true. And your business shouldn't be dependent on one sales rep for its existence. We're going to live and die by this one sales rep hitting their number mm -hmm. and having great conversations. I hope they're on their A game 365 days out of the year. You shouldn't be relying on that. Back to your example of having that drip campaign before the scheduled discovery call. That's not a rock star AE or sales rep. Mm -hmm. That's just a smart process to do after someone yeah. books before you speak to them. It's the creation of that process and then the yep. execution. What exactly happens based on this business trigger every single time it exactly. happens? We build these elaborate flowcharts, documentation, SOPs. Hey, look, there's this thing that happens sometimes. And when you draw the flowchart of that business process, you see that it's an arrow to nowhere. Yep. That means that we have an opportunity to fix it. Yep. And that's most of the work that people just want to skip and just be like, I don't know, people are going to magically show up on calls. And <laughs> who cares about that stuff? We just need to make some sales. Let's just hire somebody. <laughs> when you actually stop and think logically about the business process of yep. this stuff, it's not the bald guy on the phone slamming deals. <laughs> <laughs> Two bald guys spoken. Uh, right. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> Any final thoughts on rounding up our conversation, especially as it relates to gathering this business intelligence and this idea of building mm -hmm. this process and this engine that we've been talking about? Mm -hmm. Anything we haven't touched on ledge that you want to make sure our audience knows if you wanted to build this so i've been playing along with a tool now that i like i'll give a shout out to this thing has been really helpful it's called fathom fathom.video what does fathom do it's a note taker kind of like otter but it'll yeah. sit on your zoom calls for you and record them into their cloud and it has a neat little app on the side that opens up where you can program your buttons i have the four buttons oh i question see need objection positive response Ooh. and you hit it and it like will grab that little piece and bookmark the video and then when you go back and watch it i'm not good at taking real-time notes but conceptually you could take real-time notes and write what was important about that moment it also does action items action items are obviously a thing i ought to do interesting those sync back to the crm so you got your to-do list is it mainly built for sales call recordings or was it built for another purpose i don't know why they built it i actually got onto <laughs> the early beta and i'm like this thing is awesome yeah. Then we go through and watch the videos again and actually write down, this is what the question is. This is the neat analysis. But you got this fully annotated video yeah. and it syncs back to HubSpot or Salesforce. Yep. And it'll have a list of all the things that the person said. Then we have to manually go and have somebody copy that into- yeah. <laughs> Love some automation there. I'm sure that'll come over time, but there's a ton of tools like that that are coming out. And it sounds like if you're trying to build your sales intelligence arm, Fathom might be a tool to check out. I appreciate you bringing that. I dig this thing. I know there's a million yeah, of them. Yeah, there's a lot of yeah, them. Like I mean, you can use Gong, Chorus, Fathom. There's a ton of them out there, but go and find one tool maybe that helps you figure out that data from your calls better because that can help to inform yeah. 
your marketing, your product, prospects, who's our ICP, what problems are they really having? All these things are yep. so important. Ledge, if my uh, listeners want to find you online, how can they do so? Add10.co. That's A-D-D numeral one Z-E-R-O dot C-O. Perfect. If you know the guy who owns .com, give him my number because <laughs> we'd really like to buy it. Yeah. And LinkedIn, David Ledge, Ledger. And also, if you don't mind, yeah, go ahead. come listen to Leaders of B2B. That's our podcast. Awesome. Check out the podcast. We'll link to Ledge's podcast, the website, and LinkedIn profile. So if you want to learn more about what he does with Ad10, definitely hit him up online. Ledge, appreciate you coming on. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Tyler. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. You can find all the links discussed and the show notes at thesaleslift.com. That's the, T-H-E, sales, S-A-L-E-S, lift, L-I-F-T, dot com. Have questions for me? Email me at tyler at thesaleslift.com. We look forward to seeing you back here next week. And we hope today's show brings you the sales lift your business needs. Remember, ideas plus action equals results. You've got new ideas, now it's time to take action and the results will follow. See you next time.